0: Hi, welcome to this event, which is a government, London-based think tank. So it's a real pleasure to be doing something not in London and not with a panel of people who don't know what life looks like outside the M25. So it's really great to be up here in Liverpool. I'm Jill Rutter. I'm, uh, I'm Programme Director for Brexit, but we're not going to talk about that at all, I should think. Hopefully in the next hour and a half, maybe we are. Anyway, and it's an absolute pleasure to be hosting this event uh, with support from our friends at Barclays on Metro Mayors, where next for English devolution. And as you will see, we are bring to you a quite big but really stellar panel of people who've been involved. So I'm going to introduce our panelists. I'm going to go down the list. We've got mm-hmm. Andrew Carter on the far right. He's the director of the Centre for Cities, which is a uh, sister organization to the Institute for Government. So welcome to Andrew. Then. Judith Blake Judith is the leader of Leeds City Council, not a mayor. Then I have Andy Burnham, (laughs) who since last year has been the mayor of Greater Manchester. Then on my immediate left, turning over, we have Steve Rotherham, who is the mayor of the Liverpool City Region. Uh, So he gets to preside over where we are now. Then Dan Jarvis, who more recently has become the mayor of the Sheffield City Region. Uh, then Tony Walsh from Head of North for Barclays Corporate Banking and finally on the far left my colleague, colleague Akash Pound who leads the work at the Institute for Government on devolution, decentralisation and all of that agenda. So what we're going to do is we basically ask the quiz question where next for English devolution and regional growth and we've got lots of people who will have quite different takes on that from where they are now. So what we're going to do is just go very quickly down the panel and get three minutes each, start looking restive if they go much (laughs) over that, uh, just to get their take on where we are now. And then what we really want to have is loads of questions, views from the floor and things like that. So I'm going to kick off just to set the scene with my colleague who will need to look over and get a mic because we're long on panellists and short on mics. uh, Akash Pan. Akash.
1: Well, thank you. Good afternoon. Um, The Labour Party was, of course, once the the true party of devolution. It has an incredibly uh, impressive record of which it can be proud of creating the devolved institutions in Edinburgh, in Cardiff, in Belfast and in London. But Labour's agenda for creating regional government across the rest of England was ultimately less successful. And Labour left England... Um, as still an overly centralised country which lacked an effective intermediate tier of governance to tackle challenges around local economic growth and public service reform that local areas are too small for and central government is too remote to deal with. And it's ultimately been the Conservatives who've picked up this agenda and tried to fill the gap between the centre and the locality through the creation of combined authorities at the city region level, headed by metro mayors, of whom there are now seven across England, and three of which, of course, are on the panel alongside me. And they, of course, can speak for themselves about what they've <laughs> achieved so far and what they plan to do next. Um, what I want to do is just highlight what I see as three key challenges for this agenda um, going forward. So, first, Devolution was always intended to be an ongoing process, not a one-off event, and it's it's proved to be that already. But I think what we've also seen since 2016 is that devolution has fallen down the agenda somewhat at Westminster, um, and that does create a risk that the process will be left unfinished. And in particular, I think, without the commitment from the centre of the government, from the Treasury that we previously had seen, um, I think there's a risk that departments are reverting to type and trying to release powers and budgets on a restricted uh, and sort of ring-fenced basis on their own terms. And that's going to weaken the ability, I think, or there's a risk that it does so, of the devolved bodies to be creative and strategic in how they can improve social and economic outcomes within their areas. I think it might also reinforce the dynamic whereby the metro mayors um, have to continually pitch for additional grants and funding from the centre in order to achieve their their ambitious objectives Um, and that's always going to be a part of their role and they've been pretty successful at it so far, but ultimately devolution, true devolution has to be about autonomy, not not about lobbying and I think we therefore do need to have a debate about how to move the funding model for for devolution onto a more secure, uh, long-term basis and perhaps what we can learn from Scotland and Wales in that Uh, in in that regard. Second, my second challenge, devolution is clearly unfinished as well in terms of its geographical coverage. So big city regions, Leeds, of course, Newcastle and other places have been left out so far. So has most of non-metropolitan England. Um, So there's obviously a big question about how those gaps in the devolution map should be filled. Um, And for instance, should there be more openness to devolution to bigger regions like Yorkshire, that are united more by culture and identity rather than perhaps a, a technocratic definition of, of functional economic geography, which has been the logic so far. Third and finally, I think there is still a big challenge relating to democratic engagement. The devolution process so far has been a pretty um, elite-driven process. You know, the deals emerged from negotiations between officials. Um, operating behind closed doors, there wasn't much public engagement uh, during the process, and I think people were voting in the elections without having a very clear idea about what the purpose of the new institutions even was. So I do think that's something um, that will need to be tackled if, if devolution is to be genuinely transformational. So in conclusion, I think English devolution has come a long way, it's moved the country in the right direction, but we've been left with a messy an incomplete patchwork quilt of deals which the public don't particularly understand and I think which remains vulnerable to future attempts to re-centralize power and to cut budgets. Um, And that perhaps creates an opportunity for the Labour Party um, to claim back that mantle as the party of devolution, if they can come up with answers to those questions. But whether or not the party wishes to take up that challenge is of course not for me to say.
0: But Thank I you. think a very interesting discussion for us to have later. So I'm going to go first to our two sort of more experienced Metro mayors, uh, Stephen and then Andy, just to say, actually, you know, how far has it come since you were elected in May 2017? You know, what does it feel like? And would your, the citizens of the Liverpool City region, if they identify as such, would they sort of now feel that this is something that's really adding value to them?
2: more experienced by 12 months um yeah and if you ask everybody in the liverpool mm. city region they they love what we're doing mm. um <laughs> he, he <laughs> no good <laughs>
0: if
2: if we're honest if there was a survey done um, people wouldn't really know what the liverpool city region is some would but most people don't fully know what it is they know that it's areas coming together i'm not saying that geographically people could say it's this 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 an area um, which is different than greater manchester if you ask them about the devolution agreement they might take a stab at one or two areas skills perhaps they might say or apprenticeships um, transport but then n- not so much and if you ask them about a metro there, of course liverpool is famous for two football clubs Uh, Two cathedrals and two mayors. Um, (laughs) And not just that, in the city region, there are 11 titles with mayor in them. So parish mayors and um, the ceremonial mayors. And and through all this confusion, we expect people (coughs) to know what it is that we're doing. Well, they don't. And if you have a look at what's happened in London, um, 2000 was the, the first time that they had a mayor and um, in those 18 years that original de- devolution agreement if you like the, the the powers that they got has been transformed to where they are now and i think most people not just in london they you know in, in our area would know sadiq would certainly know the lovely boris johnson perhaps and um they might even know that ken was um, the mayor of london so people sort of know what it's about but it's going to take us a long time to put our stamp on on what we're doing but there are things that we can genuinely do and we are making a difference now today and we are changing the landscape of what's happening in the the Liverpool City region and the the architecture around um, how people operate and how we work with central government all of that does take a bedding in period so Unfortunately, in the last 18 months, I've not been able to turn around austerity.
3: Mm. But <laughs> we make
2: a huge <laughs> impact in individual people's lives. And we're doing that through things, for instance, the biggest barrier to people taking up mm-hmm. apprenticeship opportunities in our city region is the cost of travel. So with half the price of travel for apprentices in the Liverpool city region. Is it as far as we want to go? Of course it's not. But we have to do these things on affordability and the things as a Labour Metro Mayor that we'll all do that West Midlands with a Tory Metro Mayor would never do. And I think that's where you'll see Labour in power and socialism in action.
0: Andy, what's, it, what's the pitch from Manchester, so what Greater Manchester so what difference it's made having
4: as you there? As well, I agree with every single word that Steve uh, has said because we... Uh, we get on very well, as, y- as you know, and um, we're trying to build this together, by the way. You know, we're not just doing our own thing in our own cities. We are trying to build this together. Actually, we're trying to build this as one north, and I'll maybe just come on to that uh, that point. If I kind of summarise where we were and where we are now, where we were when Steve and I were standing for election, I think the most common thing we got on the doorstep was, why do we need one? This will be a white elephant. What's the point? And what we get now, what I certainly get as I go out around the city centre at lunchtime and things, why have you sorted this? Why have you done that? So it's, People have accepted the role amazingly quickly, to be honest, in terms of, they can see that it actually does hold out some possibility for them in terms of accountability. A good example, transport. If you want to entertain yourself any given morning, look at my Twitter feed on the commuting time, 7.30 to 9, you will see I get sent pictures of all kinds of amazing buses and trains, and they're all full, by the way, and no one's, uh, no one's enjoying it very much when they're on it. But Here's an example of how it's changed things. All of a sudden, they have a failing transport system and one person to kind of you know, give their concerns to. And that is slowly but beginning to drive a bit of accountability into, into the transport system. I think we would both say, and, and Dan too, because we're all on transport for the north, uh, as Dan has joined us, between us, we think we've given the north a louder voice uh, when it comes to transport, working with Judith and, and all of our colleagues. Um, But we feel we have, you know, in times gone by the North would have had the problems it's had on its trains and nobody would have been talking about it on the national media. Well, at least they were talking about it uh, on the national uh, media. And and the whole question of transport in the North is much higher up the political agenda uh, than it it was. So I think that's um, an achievement. More broadly, I think I would argue that there's more positive energy flowing around this city and around Greater Manchester than probably in areas without devolution. and actually, if you look around the country, I mean, Akash gave a really good summary, I think, at the beginning there. Devolution does work. If you look in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, people there are more optimistic about the future. And, where the, and I think devolution is a part of that. You know, people feel that there's a healthier political culture. Um, and actually, in a time when there's precious little consensus about anything in politics across the uh, political divide... Devolution to England does have massive public support, um, 70% plus. Uh, and in Greater Manchester, where we've had it, even higher, 80% plus. So there's big public support for it, and the, the public want um, uh, want more of it. Where does it go next? Well, definitely transport. I mean, we're getting the complaints, but we don't have the levers to change things at the moment. You know, unlike Sadiq, Steve and I can't enforce bo- box junctions. We can't create red routes. Um Our buses are deregulated. Okay, we're going to get powers to do something, but it's not fully in place yet. So we kind of need the levers uh, on transport, and we haven't got them at the moment. We want full control over the northern franchise, I would suggest, uh, to prevent the... the, We can't have another summer like the one we've just had. So transport, we need more. Skills, we would both say. We need devolved control over our skills system. The government rightly are asking us Mm -hmm. to develop a local industrial strategy. Well, my argument is you won't have a successful local industrial strategy without a skills a local skills strategy to under uh, underpin it uh, and i think you know my take is whitehall has never ever run skills policy well it's created a situation where uh, we have young people on the university route very well looked after but those the other 50% who want something different basically forgotten in national policy for a long time and i think we are devolution is is the way in which you can address that, uh, that, that uh, failure. I would also say DWP. Give us devolved control of the DWP budget. I'm certain we can spend it better uh, than, than they do. In fact, we're already beginning to prove that. So, Jill, I'll finish with a simple answer to the, the big question, where next for English devolution and regional growth? Everywhere. That was what I, how I would answer that question. It works. It helps you build a healthier politics where you can do with people rather than do to people. It, it gets business more engaged and universities more engaged in what you are doing. It gives a sense of optimism in a way that there isn't much around at the moment. How else are we going to inject confidence into the regional economy? I don't see any other policy that's going to do it post-Brexit. This is the best one that we've, the best one that we've uh, got. I don't want Manchester to be the London of the north, where we're the only ones with a substantial devolution deal and nowhere else ever gets what we've got. I want everywhere to have what we've got. Get a devolution deal in all parts of England. Because then, just think about this, if Cheshire get their deal soon, then Greater Manchester, Cheshire, Merseyside, we could start, the three of us, we've got scale there to, to borrow between us to do th- projects of, of um, scale and size. We don't need London anymore to, to, to give us permission to do things. So, I'd say everywhere, we did a devolution deal everywhere, devolution works, it's the best hope for renewing our politics uh, and uh, putting some in- confidence into the regional economy.
0: That's big manifesto for devolution. Let's go and hear from Yorkshire, where things are a bit more of a work in progress,
5: (laughs) That's one way of putting it. Um, Well, uh, I agree with what Steve was saying, that there is quite a bit of confusion around the issue of devolution. There is even more confusion in Yorkshire, and I'm quite envious of the the degree of certainty and permanence around the arrangements that that Steve and, uh, and Andy has. But I think Andy made a good point about the kind of collective voice of the North. I think that is incredibly significant, but for all of us, it presents some quite interesting dilemmas. So, I've just recently bid um, into the Department for Transport's Transforming Cities Fund. So I have to bid for that. That's £120 million of money that I think that I'm owed, but I still have to bid for it. So I then, therefore, have to have, I think, a constructive working relationship with the Department for Transport, because I want them to give me a lot of money. That's quite a different experience from being in Parliament and from being part of the opposition, opposing the government. I actually now, as a Metro Mayor, have to have, I think, a functioning, constructive working relationship with government in order to deliver for the people that I represent, and that's quite an interesting dynamic. I'm not sure whether anyone yet has said the word Brexit, but inevitably we were going to get to it probably sooner rather than later. There's a lot of... um, conversation at this conference, rightly so, about Brexit, about what it will mean and what the process is going to be that gets us from where we are now to where we might want to be in the future. And, of course, that's all incredibly important. But I do sometimes worry that we risk forgetting about or even ignoring the underlying causes as to why so many millions of people around the country decided they wanted to leave uh, the European Union in the first place. And that's where Devolution, and that's where Metro mayors, I think, have got a very important role to play. And that's because generally I believe that the closer you can place decision-making to the people who (coughs) will be affected by those decisions, the better. And throughout the, um, the referendum campaign, there was one phrase above all else which resonated with millions of people, regardless of which way they voted, and that was take back control. And I think devolution, if it is done right big questions about what doing it right actually means but if it is done right I think provides one way only one way in which we can hopefully restore some faith and trust amongst those people who frankly have very little faith and trust with the political establishment but we need to be honest about the fact that it also carries quite significant risks as well there's a particular risk that instead of devolving responsibility and resources which is what we think it should be about that it's actually about devolving cuts and blame and we need to be very careful that we're advocating for and getting at the very least an adequate level of resource needed to do the job that we've been elected to do but when we get that resource and I say this as someone who wasn't necessarily always especially kind of enthusiastic about the mayoral model but I now have a bit more experience <laughs> with which to kind of, sort of talk about it i think when we get it right the, the mayor can be uh, a really important fulcrum point in terms of bringing people together. Because it's important to note that although metro mayors have some formal legal powers, I think that actually the greatest power is that softer power, the power to convene, the power to get people around the table, the power to bring people together, the power to persuade <coughs> people to do things that perhaps otherwise they they might not want to do. I said that um, that I have quite um, a complicated um, arrangement uh, in the Sheffield City region, and that's certainly true. I do bat on a somewhat stickier wicket than, um, than Steve and Andy in the sense that the Sheffield City region, and you know, I, I'm not sure how many people would be able to tell me precisely what the Sheffield City region actually consists of, but it is all of South Yorkshire. It's a swath of the Peak District, Derbyshire Dales, North East Derbyshire, Chesterfield, Bassett Law, and North Nottinghamshire, so a chunk of the East Midlands as well. I have quite a complicated arrangement where I've got constituent local authorities and non-constituent local authorities. So I am the mayor of the Sheffield City region, 1.8 million people, but I was only elected... This is where it gets really complicated. (laughs) I was only elected by people in South Yorkshire, but I am the mayor for a chunk of the East Midlands as well. So in addition to that, (laughs) we also don't have an agreement amongst the constituent local authorities about how to proceed. So all of that means that it's quite a challenging situation. But despite that, and I think I'm just over the kind of 100-day point, in in the first 100 days, we've been able to draw together what I think will be uh, a really meaningful document, which is a transport strategy for our region, which we've never had before. We've done a lot of work on defining what our economic story is going to be, because although South Yorkshire is an absolutely fantastic place, the reality is for too long, It's been defined as a place that is in decline. It certainly is not that place, but we needed to draw a story together, and we've been able to do that. We've launched an active travel campaign. We've reviewed all of the governance arrangements that underpin the combined authority. We're planting trees, and we've appointed a trade unionist on the local enterprise partnership. So the number of things that we've been able to point to that have added value, I think. Final point, very quickly, because I'm conscious of time. Where next? Well, for me and hopefully this sort of tees up my Yorkshire colleague <coughs> quite neatly, where next is Yorkshire? Because, again, Brexit is the prism w- with which I look at all of this. We have to get ready for what is likely to be coming next year. And it seems to me for Yorkshire, we've got an amazing opportunity to draw together the whole of the collet- what I describe as the kind of collective clout of the, of the county of Yorkshire. Let me be very clear about the fact that is not a nostalgic argument it is the case that yorkshire has got an incredibly sense uh, strong sense of pride in itself and that's really important but but of itself it's not enough in the end the driver for this has got to be the economic case and that's why judith myself and a number of others have spent much of the summer drawing together the economic argument that can demonstrate that actually what we need in our part of the world is a wider Yorkshire devolution. So w- if horizon. you go
0: to one Yorkshire, then the Dales, Derbyshire Dales, things like that, all sort of fall away, do they, into a different geography? Not necessarily. So mm-hmm. they suddenly because discover this is a Yorkshire takeover. C- <laughs>
5: because the, the, the further complication that we've been dealing with throughout the course of the summer is that for reasons that are not entirely clear, the government have decided to review the footprints of the local enterprise partnerships. So I think we can sort of see a solution that would work for Yorkshire that... Is based on a single combined authority that draws all of the local authorities mm-hmm. together, but is underpinned by different geographic LEp areas.
0: Okay, um, yeah, that sort of sounds simple. Judith, yeah. can you explain the future of one Yorkshire yeah, yeah, well. sure, sure. identity versus economic geography?
6: Well, uh, um, I think I'll start from the position of a Yorkshire takeover. I think that would be a very good place to start. There are places on the edge that used to be in Yorkshire who would dearly love to come back in. I have some of you might be in the audience um, as, we, um, as we speak. Um, perhaps it would be helpful <laughs> just to give a little bit of um, background to why we are where we are. Um, so the whole um, devolution model was driven by the core cities. I'm the chair of the core cities over a number of years, and we very quickly realised, um, working with George Osborne, that we would have to have a new model of governance, and that's why we set up the uh, combined authority model, bringing together um, local authorities around a functioning geographic area um, to really punch above our weight um, and move forward. So um, it is confusing. So Leeds is um, in the combined authority of West Yorkshire, but our LEP area, um, covers um, York um, districts from North Yorkshire, Harrogate, Craven, and Selby, but all, and also Barnsley actually um, is part of our LEP area. Um, are you with me so far? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I think the, the big mistake that George Osborne made, and um, you know it is uh, quite hard to a- acknowledge that um, the agenda was driven by um, by the Tories and through George Osborne as um, Chancellor. He made the mistake of actually looking at the Greater Manchester model, which is the model he obviously knows best from where he was the MP, which uh, Greater Manchester has been working on this agenda for 30-plus years. And he tried to lift the uh, model of Greater Manchester and, and drop it all over the country. And that's why so many of the devolution deals have fallen apart, because you have those issues of geography, of artificial boundaries, of um, split areas with police and crime commissioners, for example. Um, So Leeds City Region actually led um, the charge with um, the devolved model along with um, Greater Manchester. Leeds actually is the larger economic area. Um, And so we had the largest growth deal um, in the country, which we are still working our way through. So when when George Osborne um, coming into um, majority control government said, the requirement was to have a mayor, which actually all of our areas had rejected before, I have to say. Um, We actually, we went obviously for Leeds City Region, um, but unfortunately the Tory MPs in West Yorkshire and some in North Yorkshire were aghast at the thought of setting up a model that would, in their eyes, permanently develop a a, a Labour um, mayor um, in perpetuity, if that's the right word. So... um, Um, So they came, um, since Theresa May has been in, the the foot has come off the gas, Mm -hmm. even in the areas that have got devolved deals, Mm -hmm. I have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Jake Berry, who um, goes under the title of Northern Powerhouse Minister, said, came and said to us, right, you go away, come up with a model that you think will work, you know, we're we're grass, you know, bottom-up approach, we believe in working from the grassroots. So we did. And we got 18 out of the um, 20 Yorkshire authorities um, to sign up to pursuing a Yorkshire-wide deal. And even though the detractors of this proposal try to write it off as being uh, nostalgic, um, emotional, I have to tell you that, as Dan said, we've put together the economic case, and Jim O'Neill was at a conference in Leeds last week, actually to his surprise, saying, actually, do you know what, I think they've got a case here. Um, So, um, you know, obviously, um, as Dan has said, um, the South Yorkshire situation has presented um, something of a challenge. Um, But it's very clear Dan stood on the um, platform of being the mayor in South Yorkshire to get their deal away, to get much needed money into South Yorkshire. We all support that in Yorkshire. But with a view that once the um, one Yorkshire deal is up and running then the districts in South Yorkshire who want to move away from that model um, can actually do so and join the One Yorkshire model. So we have a One Yorkshire board with all the, the, the leaders and Dan sitting on it, um, working on a range of issues already, whether it's housing, energy, tourism, all of the key issues um, that, um, that work for us across the region. Um, I... I you know, so uh, it's very much work in progress. The, the big change, in my experience, is that the Treasury no longer is driving this agenda. So our negotiations before were primarily with the Treasury, and it's getting back into the Treasury and getting them to understand the economic prize of devolution that I think will move us forward. So Yorkshire has an economy twice the size of Wales, and a population that's the same as Scotland. And um, as, as Dan has said, the brand and identity, understanding you know what it is when you go out to the public, what it is they're voting for, they completely get the Yorkshire model. It is a very, very powerful um, brand. Um, so, um, in terms of powers, I think, um, actually, the soft powers that mayors have brought have um, taken a lot of local authorities by surprise. Um, the powers actually are not vested in the mayors, and I think um, Steve and Andy would accept yeah. that, that they, they actually s- reside with the combined authorities which are made up of the leaders of um, of the local authorities in their area. And I think it's important that we keep the um, the dialogue with local authorities as well, because they are still the drivers of change in their particular areas. Um so um, a huge amount to play for. Um, I think it's down to us to really go out and get the popular support, because if, who knows when the next general election is going to be? But if MPs feel that, that the popular support in our areas that are striving for a devolved deal um, is there, they will go for it. I'll just um, highlight one slight flaw in the, um, the whole exercise. Um, if you look at the panel, you know I'm the only woman apart from Jill on the panel and every single Metro mayor is male and you know where we've got a situation where as a party we have striven mm-hmm. for you know to get equal representation mm-hmm. that there, there is a gap there and mm-hmm. I would just urge all of us as party members to actually think about how we manage the selections going forward so that we have an equal chance of uh, representing the our people
0: very interesting Thank point. So, we're just going to sort of wrap up by giving Andrew. You've, Centre Cities, done a lot to emphasise the importance of cities in promoting economic growth, regeneration, etc. cetera. So, Andrew, where's this agenda go next?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, everything's been said, I think, but not everybody's uh, said it. I would agree with, you know, probably everything that's been said by previous panellists. In terms of devolution, I think we are still in the phase of prove your worth, hmm. right? There is still a conversation where our mayors have to go to government and prove their worth. And I think that's a very dangerous position to be in because if government chooses not to believe what is said, I think that could really uh, unpick the whole devolution process. We need to move beyond that. I think government needs to be, uh, to be able to, to move beyond that. Well, I think we have to accept as colleagues have said, that there is demonstrable evidence already in such a very short time in the UK and huge amount of international evidence that shows that devolution works. Not just on an economic sense, but on a social sense as well. If we are looking for evidence, we're, I, I, we are awash with it. So th- you know, this bogus argument that we often hear from civil servants and from politicians, we just have to prove that you can do this slightly better. It's just simply bogus arguments. It's a reason not to do something rather than a genuine commitment yep. to do that. I think we need to move beyond that because this is my final point. Because what's proved since Brexit is that national politicians of all stripes are absent without leave right they have disappeared from the domestic agenda they've disappeared when we talk about jobs and transport and homes and clean air they are away talking about other things related to brexit or otherwise and in a sense it's the guys and people like judith around the table that are having to try and drive this agenda with not just one arm behind their back in mm. many respects but two arms that proves to us that the status quo is bust if we were ever in doubt before brexit tells us very clearly that status quo is bust so i think we should flip it on its head it's for central government to tell us why the mayors and others shouldn't be getting the powers rather than the other way around and if they can't do that which they won't be able to do by the way as default these places get it and as as we move through that process those powers go to everywhere else. So we need to going kind to of flip this on the head. We don't ask Scotland and we don't ask Wales and actually we don't ask London to prove their worth. Mm. They get it. These places should get it in the same way mm. and government needs to enable it to happen. Whatever the stripe of national government, whether it's Labour or Conservative, needs to get it and move us on. Mm. So
0: I'm going to end start. up by coming to Tony. Uh, Tony, you sort of responsible for the North. Uh, I've heard a lot from Andy and uh, Dan and others about actually how this is giving the North a much more concentrated voice. So what is this doing actually from a businessy perspective to boost the North as an economic presence and
7: give a more coherence um, to that? Thanks Jill and a lot lot of common themes here. So um, 35 years with Barclays, uh, common theme number one, I joined as an apprentice. Common theme number two, um, in my hometown of Barnsley, Mm. so I've got um, commonality with these two uh, chaps uh, here. Obviously worked in many business units, but mainly in the north. Um, and But what, what I see Barclays doing already is practising that devolution because the size of Barclays, you know, support 1 million cust- mm-hmm. SMEs, 24 million customers around the UK, 48,000 um, people are employed by Barclays, 12,000 mm-hmm. in the north. But we can only really see that success by taking that to the local business un- uh, areas um, around um, the northern towns and cities. And we've seen that to happen. We think that there are three questions that if we can answer and help with, that will further actually um, generate more uh, more growth. So firstly, um, how do we ensure that each community has the skills and training, which has come up already, um, needed for the jobs market? Number two, how do we help young people have the confidence they need to enter the world of work um, when they leave full-time education? And thirdly, in these uncertain times for businesses, how can we help them grow in the uh, in the uncertain economic um, time? We uh, we see the establishment of the metro mayors uh, as being um, a great aid to help and support with that, and we're very keen to work uh, with uh, with the metro mayors and others to bring that to work to fruition. We don't have all the answers clearly, but you know the kind of things that we're doing. Um, we have um, an apprentice-led uh, first hiring policy now in areas such as um, Wavertree down the road, you know, we've got almost 3,500 um, employees in Barclays, now we're apprentices, and Steve was very helpful uh, in, in helping us launch that down in Wavertree, um, our um, um, digital eagles, they're helping digital skills, etc. we put 5.5 million people through life skills type programmes, um, with Andy's support, we've launched um, support in Bury. Um, around uh, around there as well, and then to business in general, we've launched some lending funds across the north—a mm. £500 million pound lending fund. So, um, we um, we are very excited by um, the debate here. We think we can help and contribute and help um, help this uh, grow even further. So,
0: what difference does it make having a mayor to go to as opposed to a local authority?
7: I think one example I can give you is um, a. A large customer I was working Mm -hmm. with a couple of years ago over in Humberside, so I think it takes the geography out of this panel here completely. They had a big, big um, project. Previously, just two years ago, they were working with um, four different councils um, and they were finding it hard to get their project to fruition. The chief executive confided to me and said that they, several times at board level, nearly gave up. Mm -hmm. They managed to get it through. I think what now they can do is that they could go to a mayor and they could help them um, bring the public and private sector together. That's the difference it makes.
0: So to our mayors, Akash raised this issue about funding, and Dan was saying, I have to go and be nice to the DFT because they've got this giant pot, but Mm. I have to come and say, please, 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 give me a bit of that. And the sort of model is is very odd, sort of, you know, with Whitehall holding on to the strings rather than just giving you a big block grant like Scotland and Wales get or whatever. I mean... If we're looking at a future Labour government, they want to entrench this new model. What should they do with funding? Andy, how should, how should the funding really work?
4: I, I just think they should devolve all public spending. So all current public spending in Greater Manchester should be devolved to the combined authority. Mm. Um, we live there. We care about it. We're prepared to be accountable for it. we all spend it better than them. It's pretty simple, really. I, I don't think the DWP spend their money well in Greater Manchester. They spend it sanctioning people and trying to trip them up. We'll try and spend it to help them. just, just a different way of working. You know, on what basis does anyone in Whitehall know better than us? I, I just don't believe that they do. So uh, we're lucky we've got more under our control because of health devolution. But we, are, we, we, we can demonstrate already that we're spending it better. Delayed transfers of care in from hospital are already lower in Greater Manchester than, than they are in other comparable uh, cities. We've got an element of DWP devolution. We're getting twice the results with people furthest from the labour market than the, the work program is achieving. Um, so that it's basically a trust thing, isn't it? Do they trust us to do it? And, and I think we, we can prove that we are already spending money better. But the big thing is, if you do go down that devolved grant, you can break down the silos of the Whitehall departments. You know. They create so much chaos on the ground for people who are trying to work up in a joined up way by giving them all these different target regimes and therefore they can't work together. Greater Manchester is moving to a a single place-based integrated model of public service delivery. And it's more rewarding for the professionals who work within it. It definitely spends the public money better. So in many ways, we're not necessarily asking for more money. We're just saying, give us control over what you already spend. And Steve, maybe Steve will pick up this ball when I raise it. The apprenticeship levy, it's just sitting there unspent at the moment. And we've got apprenticeships in reverse at the time when Brexit's about to land. You know they've got to free us up to get on. If you look around the world, cities are the engines of growth in the global economy. And places that understand this are freeing up their cities now to get on and build the new economy. And England needs to get in this game and get in it quickly. And um, I, that's why I want to see Judith and Dan succeed. Whatever's the right deal for Yorkshire, not for me to say, but to have some form of devolution. But where you've already got it... Just give us control of the public money and we will be held accountable by the by the voters.
0: So Steve, the treasurer, we had the treasurer <coughs> at IFG event last week and they said devolution was going to be a big theme of the spending review. Oh uh, good.
2: Quite
0: well mm, that okay. Means. Uh, we'll <laughs> that's interesting. But I mean should you be there arguing for the money or should you just actually be sort of taking slices of the money that you know, should you depend on the success of Matt Hancock and Chris Grayling and all these other people? In with the
4: Treasury the success of Chris Grayling, money. that's an interesting <laughs> phrase.
2: <aren't> <laughs> <laughs> Words you never thought you'd hear in the same You're sentence, in his I think. Pounds, though, if you just get the uh,
0: DFT budget. So. I, I tell
2: you what I'd have. I'd have a, a Liverpool City Region Barna formula um, mm-hmm. I definitely accept that, and, and that is that proper devolution, giving us the opportunity to spend things better. Andrew said about th- the fact that we do have to go to Treasury and prove what it is that we're doing and that we're spending it better than central government could. That's not difficult, in all honesty, <laughs> uh, Andrew. <it's laughs> no not, I, I mean, we, we can't do much worse than no, some of the things is. that they're doing. If you have a look at the mess that they're making, um, and this is Probation. probably true of lots of, yeah, of local local departments <laughs> and possibly of even yeah, different yeah, um, shapes of government, <laughs> we can do things differently and better because we can respond better to local needs. And I'll give it an example. If we're, we we're trying to... Intervene in, in, in digital infrastructure. And if we do this, it will possibly create thousands of jobs. Unless the government gives us the levers, what we've just done is create a huge skill shortage for ourselves. And yet, there's £2 billion God, pounds God. sitting God. in a pot <laughs> which is being raised in a stealth yeah. tax to those um, um, businesses yeah. that have a, a turnover of £3 million pounds or more. And yet, we're not getting access to it now apparently and we're trying to um, deconstruct this deal mm-hmm. that west midlands have got uh, a metro mayor and um, sorry metro mayor in west midlands has got some of this well if they have we should get it also mm-hmm. and if we're getting it so should other areas as of well of course and these mm-hmm. spot on look this is not a land grab mm-hmm. um I, i'm trying to get the best deal as i possibly can for the liverpool city region Despite uh, it has to say our um, landscape um, being slightly complex, but nowhere near as complex as <laughs> the. I mean, if I had your sort of methodology, I could say uh, North Wales, the Isle of Man, <laughs> Atlantic, <you're> <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of Spain. Um,
4: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not. We're just going to build a wall at St. Helens and make him pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs>
6: you watched uh, Wallace and Gromit keep out <laughs> <laughs> well, genuinely, if, if
2: we were given the ability to use that funding we could demonstrate to the government that we'll fill those skills shortage areas and the government claims the outcomes it's a win win it's just a ridiculous situation by DFE saying no you, you can't play with this because this is our money well it's not it was raised by businesses yeah. and it was raised yeah. for apprenticeship spending we can spend it better than them and we should
1: do that immediately i, Jill, yeah. I,
4: I just want to pick up on one point if yeah. i may just because i do again agree with everything steve saying but i don't want you all to be sitting there thinking we're just thinking about public money you know going in the begging bowl and we've made a commitment to greater manchester to end the need for rough sleeping in greater manchester by 2020 seven years ahead of what the government is saying and We've built a movement behind it. So Dan's point about the convening power is a really important point not to be lost because we've built a a real movement, voluntary sector, charitable sector, businesses now coming forward. You'll see an announcement tomorrow, a major announcement that will bring a lot more money in to what we're trying to do. This winter in Greater Manchester, we're going to provide a bed every night for every rough sleeper from November to March. We're going to do it. And it's because we are convening and building from the bottom up. And I just think it's really important to get that over as well. You know, that this isn't... It is partly about giving us the public money, but when you've given us the public money, we can then galvanise with it to achieve more with it. And I think that's the point, and I wouldn't want to miss that point because Dan's point was a, was really significant about the extra value that a, a mayoral role can add. Can I
1: just add... I mean, I think, I'm, I'm, I think the... the ambition that you <laughs> are expressing is i mean it's very exciting to hear that you know how far you you hope this agenda might go in terms of you know block grants along scottish and welsh lines full control of all public spending within the region and you know maybe that's where we should ultimately be aiming but if that is the objective i think you know you do have to think as well about whether the current governance model is fit for purpose. Because I mean the comparison's been made with Scotland and Wales. Well Scotland has a whole parliament scrutinising public spending and the operation of the government. I mean what we have at the Mayor level is nothing nothing like that at this point. So you have to have that that part of the debate alongside the debate of about further powers and funding freedoms in my view. So
0: Dan how does the scrutiny feel, you know, coming relatively you know, new to this I mean how's it different from The city council sort of
5: you know the scrutiny that judith faces running leads so let let me just say i i agree the point about additional resource i think it's a particularly clear case for additional investment in transport Mm. it's frankly nothing short of a scandal that so much money goes into the south of england but doesn't come into the north of england i think None of us should underestimate the difficulty of, of trying to sort of shift that. So it is about a kind of cultural mindset that exists within government, but also within the civil service, which is far too focused on, on London and the South East. I also think that you know, it is the case that a couple of years ago that there was a much more genuine commitment amongst yeah. the government to actually drive this forward and make it work. One of the things that I'm very much tracking at the moment is something that's called the Shared Prosperity Fund. So this will be the kind of, sort of money that, that draws together what's been the local growth fund money and the European Structural Investment Funds. So these are vital sources of funding for the regions. And the government are just about to now start to think about what the formula would be for allocating mm. that money. Now that all sounds mm. quite sort of technical and complicated, and it mm. is, but it will be vital that we can agree on a kind of funding formula that gives us you know, a, a, fair, a fair amount of <coughs> funding.
0: And are you being involved in the discussions on the funding formula or are you just waiting to hear what the funding formula is? I'm just
4: waiting to hear. It's it's a bit ridiculous, but also it's worse than that. Steve and I were at a meeting with the Brexit uh, junior minister. Um, We had one with David Davis who told us that there was no regional analysis uh, with Brexit scenarios. Then when we we saw it leaked, and so when we had our second meeting with his junior minister, (laughs) uh, this was going back into June, she told us that, actually, yes, it did exist... So we said, OK, then can we have it then, please? Uh, no. So they've got analysis on Liverpool City region, Sheffield City region, Greater Manchester, wherever, sitting on a computer somewhere in Whitehall about what the various Brexit scenarios might mean for the people who live in here, and they won't share it. And if, if anything tells you, in a nutshell, the dysfunctional nature of British politics, then surely it's got to be that.
0: OK, let's have some questions from the audience. loads of questions. We've got a couple of roving mics over there. So let's go. The lady in red waving very keenly. Let's take three questions, then we'll sort of play them around around the panel. Yeah.
6: Thank you. My name's Catherine Preston from Bury, a councillor in Radcliffe East in Bury. My question is Will the other mayors commit, as Manchester have done, to um, making sure the Waspie women have their bus passes, please? Okay,
0: Waspie women in bus passes, yes. Mm-hmm. Down. Yes. So along there. Yep. So my question is very related to the issue that Judith brought
6: up about the fact that so many of you stood, sat there are men, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask a two-parter. One of which you will be both the most and least able to answer, as having the experience of being metro mayors but not being women. Which is, what do you think needs to be done to make sure that women do apply to become and become metro mayors? The second question is what are you each doing in your offices
0: right now given the male domination of that level of government to make sure that the, ish- the issues that are important to women are being raised at that level properly and fairly. Okay and then yes yeah. we have uh, somebody uh, with the on? microphone yeah.
1: over here. Uh, yeah can I just also agree with absolutely what you'd have said about gender and just to add to it I mean n- nothing personal but I think it is a shame that so many of our metro mayors are former members of parliament mm. and I hope to see hope that we see from inside our party leaders coming from local government and elsewhere. But to ask, uh, I think we've talked loads rightly about north-south divide, regional divide. I wonder if the regional leaders could say a little bit about what they think about divides in their own area and how they're dealing with those. There's a north-south divide in Manchester, in Yorkshire you've got Leeds and Bradford. There's all sorts of situations. I wonder if the mayors have a, a role in bridging those. Okay. I think some really
0: interesting questions. you wanted to ask the bus pass mm-hmm. question?
2: Mine's that simple. Um, we've got the most, conce- the best, the most generous concessionary bus travel pass in the country, and everybody gets to that 60. Same as London. That's same as London. And West
0: passes.
4: Well, uh, Catherine's right. We did introduce a, a bus pass for the um, WASP. We are most affected. They were the ones who saw uh, the age accelerated by the 2011 Act. I'd like to extend it if I could. So I'm looking at whether we can extend it, but we're not. Finalise that yet, but uh, th- you know the principle is established, and um, I'm pleased that we've been able to support them.
0: Okay, let's talk about this sort of issue that's come up about why are mayors men? Uh, which is <laughs> a really interesting question. Um, yeah, Judith. <laughs> 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 Your best you answer. This yeah. One. yeah, I'm going to start with you, yeah. and then we'll ask the others what they're doing about it. But you know, does it attract you the idea if there's a mayor? of yeah, uh, Mayor of Leeds. Well, um, can, you I, can with? I say the,
6: the most disappointing result of the Mayoral round was Sue Jeffrey not getting yeah, elected yeah. in Tees Valley. Sue is an absolutely brilliant woman. I've had the great pleasure of working with her. Um, we both worked for York, the Yorkshire Regional Assembly, uh, for example, and um, her not winning was um, was a tragedy. I, I think it's a question we, we have to take um, seriously, but... Um, what I would say is that we've uh, we've come a long way in representation in councils, and certainly as council leader, I've been able to reflect um, the makeup of my group, which is now more than fifty percent women. I have to say, um, in my cabinet, and make sure that they're given. You know, we we really um, punch our weight. But we have to be honest that the the reason we've actually been successful in getting more women into parliament, into councils has been through um, positive discrimination, if you like. And I don't think there's any requirement to have um, uh, women on the selection right. panels, for on, on the selection slate, if you like, for mayoral authorities. Correct me if I'm not wrong, not you've, not been not you've been through it. So, so uh, I just yeah. think it's been an issue that has been completely um, neglected. So um, there's absolutely no reason why women shouldn't come forward, but it is just It is just one of those issues that nobody seems to have paid any thought to at all. So,
0: Andrew, you look at cities around the world Mm. at the Centre for Cities. Is this a sort of uniquely British phenomenon? Because we we have the oddity that in devolution, actually, Mm. yeah, Scots' wealth actually have a lot of prominent women. Scottish politics, basically, almost a female preserve nowadays.
3: I've tried to stay in my lane it? on questions that I don't know the answer to, and I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, right, okay.
0: <laughs> okay. So what are you doing to promote to make sure women's issues don't get ignored, even uh, uh, Steve? Okay, I, I'll doing?
3: just explain
2: the process first. Yeah. So um, we did have a woman candidate in the selection yeah. process for the L- mm. Labour uh, nomination, mm. um, and I was successful. Mm. And then when I stood as the Metro Mayor candidate, mm. there were two women mm. that stood against me, mm. um, other parties. So the, the weird opportunities for women. The, the most, I think, difficult part that I've had to try to overcome is that we have a constitution that says that each of the leaders of the six local authorities that make up the combined authority have to form the cabinet. They have to have a portfolio. And I've guess what? All six mm. of those leaders of the local authorities are men and that causes lots and lots of issues. So um, people may well have, have heard me say this before, but I, I'm a proud Scouser, and I, I've always believed the old adage that Scousers learn to read between the lines before they read words. And <laughs> in my devolution agreement, it told no me things that, that. <laughs> I have to do, but it doesn't anyway say things that I can't do. So what I did was um, we've introduced... Uh, a deputy portfolio holder mine is sitting to my left here carla um a deputy portfolio holder and it to get the gender balance um if that changes it's 50 50 so in this case six blokes and it has to be six women who are the uh the um deputy portfolio holders but also i'm able to have mayoral advisors and out of those mayoral advisors we picked the best people that we could possibly get for each of the individual thematic areas. And there were seven of them and out of those seven, six were women. And the idea is really is to provide that opportunity and that pipeline for those very strong women to perhaps think about what the next step is. And that next step should be to be the leaders in those local authorities and to turn from being a mayoral advisor into a politician, maybe a mayor, maybe an mp whatever it might be but that's the way you start to generate organically the opportunities um, and it's really working in our city region
0: so do you think this is a transitional problem this problem identified that actually the route to becoming a mayor is becoming it's been mp see uh, mayorality going and sort of region you've got a connection to and you use your platform being an mp already to stand for that is there are you going to you know 20 years' time, are we still going to see, basically, MPs monopolising these jobs? Or is I think it's probably more
4: likely in the early stages, probably, you know, because obviously the role wasn't known, was it? And so it might have been hard with the ro- role not established and then someone perhaps who wasn't as well-known trying to yeah. then come into it. So I think maybe in this early stages, we're establishing it, probably more likely that people who'd been involved in national politics would come to try. But I don't think it's going to be likely in the future. I think uh, w- once we're through this... Establishment phase, then I think it will be, uh, you know, it will be open, much more open to anybody. We, we've got a balanced combined authority, so we've we've asked our ten boroughs uh, to change our constitution so that each borough now can be represent, is represented by a man and a woman at every combined authority meeting to try and answer your question.
3: I was just going to say, obviously, some of the other metro mayors are not former MPs. Yeah. Mm. Some of the, the, the Birmingham mm. or the West Midlands mayor, is not mm. a former mm. MP. Neither is Ben. Neither is Ant mm. Valley. Mm. Uh, neither is James different. in Cambridge.
0: So we've got an unrepresentative yeah, panel exactly. in that sense. Mm. Yeah, what about this
1: well
0: issue? Of labour, that's um, <laughs> yeah. what, about this, what about this issue of what mayors can do to bridge divides within their region? Dan, yeah, what do, you, do you see your role as bringing and bridging divides within areas together?
5: I do. Let me just respond yeah. very quickly to the important question about mm. why we haven't got any women mayors. So i actually <coughs> approached uh, a number of incredibly experienced, capable Mm. women in South Yorkshire to try and encourage them to stand. None of them would, and it was only on that basis that I chose to do so. I think there's a broader question, more generally. Why uh,
0: wouldn't they? Did they tell you
5: why? I think it speaks about the challenge that we will all know that our political culture is not the place we would want it to be. And it is particularly disgraceful, frankly, that it is a tougher world Mm. to be in if you are a woman. And there are women councillors, women members of Parliament who have the most appalling treatment um, simply because they serve in public life. And therefore, it is perhaps not surprising that quite a lot of people who would frankly be exceptional at being a Mayor or Member of Parliament or a, a councillor decide that they don't want to step into that environment because of the way in which they can expect to be and treated. And they
0: feel especially exposed as a mayor because it's such a sort of personality-driven... You know, you're the focal point. It's not party.
4: I think
5: the, pr- the principles apply more generally yeah. to public office. And how
4: do you, I, I'm going to ask you yeah. both a question. Mm. I find local government a bit more combative in a more kind of direct way <laughs> than... Uh, Let's uh, say really? national politics. <laughs> I do. In Parliament, there's a veneer of course. liking each other. And, uh,
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> it doesn't seem to be... It's not quite as varnished, I would say, <laughs> at a uh, local level. You can read into all of that what you want. That's
0: actually. interesting. Yeah. That's a Manchester thing. But
4: I don't know, I wonder culturally whether local government is a tougher place, actually, yeah. that sometimes. It is a bit more hand-to-hand combat, it seems to me, and that's even more so than... National politics.
6: Yeah. So I think this issue about the divide in, in our own areas yeah. is an absolutely crucial one. And um, you know, a city like Leeds is is we regard it very much as a 50-50 city. So it only just voted um, to remain by 0.4%. Um, and we have the um, because we're the second largest met in the country. We have the greatest extremes of affluence and deprivation of anywhere in in the country. Um, I. Um, so through working through the core cities, we've actually come up with a perspective for inclusive growth. We want to encourage growth, but not at any cost. So we're leading by example. As a local council, we've become a real wage living wage employer and expect other employers and our anchor institutions to follow suit in the city. And when businesses come into Leeds, we work with them, um, absolutely hand in glove to make sure that the jobs that they're creating are accessible to um, all you know, of our communities across Leeds, and it is intensive work. But we have powers at our disposal. We have 106 agreements. We've actually, I think, we were one of the first cities in the country that actually, when Tesco, big Tesco, came into into Leeds, we actually, um, met, you know, put it into a 106 agreement that they actually deliver jobs in my ward. ASDA came in, major ASDA and over 90% of the employees in that ASDA were taken from the immediate postcode around it and four years on they are still there and people with disabilities as well so we, you know, we do have the ability to use the powers that are available to us I think too many of us don't actually use the full powers mm. that are available to us Tony.
7: Um, Just on the, the, the point around it, I think it's a great question on uh, diversity obviously diversity is wider than just gender but we're talking mm-hmm. about gender here Speaking as someone who chairs a board, which does have 50-50 gender split, as people have talked about, does make a difference, absolutely. Um, But uh, you talk about um, the the, the mayors, it's a similar issue for business. Um, It is a similar issue for business, and it's something that um, we're working with many businesses on and something we're working on in Barclays as well.
0: Okay, let's have some more questions, pick up some more themes, loads and loads of questions. So let's go here on the corner, and if Penny goes there, then, yep.
1: Thank you, uh, Andrew
5: Campbell, BT Group. Um, one attraction to business of the scale of the metro mayors is it makes it much easier to have conversations about large-scale uh, investment projects. Um, do the panel have any views as to as the metro mayors mature uh, as organisations, whether there's a case to consolidate the combined authorities? into a more streamlined uh, organisation or would that be at the cost of local accountability?
0: Okay, y- yes, over there.
5: Hi, uh, hi, Arch Sagan from the Yorkshire Post. Um, Dan and Judith, you've um, hinted that this economic study um, on the benefits of One Yorkshire has been completed now and you're going to present it to the government. Could you tell us anything about what's in it? Um, and I was just wondering what the rest of the panel thought about the merits of a One Yorkshire
0: Deal. Okay, yeah, let's go there. Hi, Anna Dixon from the Centre for Aging Better. Um, great that there are two of our partners on the panel, in the form of Greater Manchester and Leeds City Council, who are working with us to make uh, um, these great places to grow old. Uh, a lot of economic growth that focuses on young people, and we heard Barclays talking about young apprenticeships. Um, what is great about those two places is that they see their economic future linked Uh, older workers to stay in and active in the economy and the crucial connection between that and policies on transport and housing and so I guess I would appeal to the other mayors um, to also uh, say the extent to which they see their own regions and economic growth uh, also about harnessing the potential of their older workforce Okay, well I think that's more of a comment so we'll uh, go to one more question Does anyone Gentleman down here Waving something
4: is quite good it's I haven't got my glasses on. Thank you I think this might be a question for maybe Andrew and uh, Akash on policy really. You mentioned Andrew early on about um, some good international evidence of the success of devolution. Wh- where should we look really for the Nirvana of, of devolution, and what might it tell us about the relationships between regional devolution in England to this very centralized culture we 've got here? central government and also city current city um, bosses
0: okay well let's go first let's, let's deal with this yorkshire question mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is very directly addressed at uh, at dan and judith well, yeah, happy. Can you give us a highlight or two of this study um, for our Have for have,
6: have you actually got a copy of it yet but we'll make sure that you get one We've, we just put out a statement from the yorkshire leaders from our meeting next week actually endorsing the approach, we will be submitting it as part of our evidence to government in the next week or so. So um, so um, we're um, we're looking at um, uh, the devolved powers around skills across the piece. Um, picking up on the combined authority issue, um, we will be looking at um, um, coming, coming forward with uh, proposals for one combined authority in line with the legislation. Um, but we recognise that within Yorkshire there are distinct areas and we will make sure we to those those strengths. We're looking at a 30-year investment fund worth up to £3.75 billion in line with the other funds that have gone to other authorities and looking at powers and funding to drive improvement of careers and enterprise and education. Um, We're looking as well at powers to levy and retain a supplementary um, business rate to provide finance for major strategic infrastructure. And I think the, the big thing about Leeds in particular is that we've never been eligible for the big structural funding. We've always had to look elsewhere. So actually, we're not just dependent on looking at government and we will be working with business to find um, how we can come forward. And actually, the proposals coming forward from the front bench of the Labour Party around regional banking is absolute music um, to our ears. So. Um, we're looking at um, um, an uplift of 5,500 approximately per person across Yorkshire in benefit from the deal that we're bringing in. Um, Yorkshire is actually quite a low area when it comes to exports and we're looking at a, um, uh, an uplift um, from increasing our activity around exports. And as I said, through inward investment, research and development, we have enormous strength across Yorkshire through our universities, Absolute. International um, top players in the university field. Um, And, you know, even though we haven't had a deal on skills, we can demonstrate through our growth deal the difference it makes of having powers and resources at a local level. Mm. Our programs delivering eight out of ten successful outcomes as opposed to DWP, sort of 50% maximum, I'd say.
0: Dan, anything you want to add on One Yorkshire?
5: I mean, I think just to say that we've, we've always been clear about the fact that if we couldn't prove the economic case then we were onto a bit of a loser. I think the detailed e- economic modelling that's been done demonstrates the strength of the case. We've got a couple of audiences for that if you like. We've got to be able to prove to the Treasury um, the, the economic benefits that we would accrue from that arrangement. Also I think there's an important conversation to be had with members of the public about what they're going to get out of it. And, you know, frankly, some of our our residents might be a bit sort of sceptical about this, so we've got to be able to sort of demonstrate the actual tangible, practical value. That economic case, though, is not enough on its own. It has to sit alongside the detailed work that we've been doing on the governance, what powers, what responsibilities will the mayor actually have, what will be the the relationship with the other local authorities. And then because we accept we're not going to have it tomorrow or next week or next year the third part of it is the roadmap to get us from where we are now to where we want to be and that involves the interim funding arrangements for all the constituent parts of Yorkshire and we've got a plan for what those would be it's quite straightforward in South Yorkshire we could do that but hopefully people understand that we're actually we're we're working together we're actually drawing everybody in Yorkshire so that we move forward together none of us are going to kind of move without the other so with those kind of sort of three elements Hopefully we've got the kind of sort of basis of a very strong case. And I think it's going to be hard for government to to say no.
0: So Steve Nandy, I want to pick up this point about combined uh, we've got combined authorities. So in London it was relatively easy, thanks to the abolition of the GLC, that there's a bit of a void for a mayor to move into. But you've been sort of pasted in the nicest possible way (laughs) over the top of lots of existing Authorities, is that a sort of the long run model, do you think, or are you a stage of evolution? So something changes. Is this the permanent model we've now what lit on for your two city regions?
4: Respecting what Judith rightly <laughs> said before, which is you know, our model's not right for everywhere. However, I'm going to make a very partisan point and <laughs> say the Greater Manchester model <laughs> is far superior to the London okay. model. And let me tell you why, because it goes to answering the question. In our case, Um, the GMCA is the council's. In the London case, the GLA is is another body that floats above the council's. So you have a kind of fragmented local government base in London that doesn't connect directly to the GLA (coughs) and the mayor, Mm -hmm. indirectly. In our case, the 10 members of the GMCA, as Steve said before, are our leaders, and myself as the 11th member, um, and I have the extra responsibilities over health and other things, it means basically, that if we can agree, and I go back, you know, it's challenging at times, but we do agree on a lot, most, uh, mostly. Um, that means that all of GM, the whole system then, will be pulling in the same direction. And I think that is a much more attractive model personally than, than the London model. The thing I think that makes it, you, you mentioned both of you, I think Tony meant, made this point as well, that one place to go to, and not without having you know, all those different conversations, one thing that struck me leaving Westminster is, you know, the point scoring and all of that stuff is kind of like been left behind as far as I'm concerned. It's about place, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not about the division of party that kind of is the stuff of what I'm doing now. It's more about the place and promoting the place. That's a much more unifying agenda for people, isn't it? Particularly for business. It's a safer place to engage as opposed to Westminster with all of its agendas and all of its kind of um, arguments. A- and I found that, you know... It, the devolved space is a much better way to fully engage business with what you're trying to do. And one of the things do. that's
0: interesting about your model is you're also the Police and Crime Commission. I, I am. You're also the Police and Crime commissioner. Yes. Is that, And you're the only mayor, Metro Mayor, I think, mm-hmm. who's doing that. At the moment, Does I think that,
4: Steve is getting, uh, hoping to be. Are
0: you becoming PCC? I'm not, <laughs> <really>. <laughs> I'm not announcing anything today. <laughs> oh <right>. <laughs> <laughs> ah, go on. Does that make sense? Is that, is yeah, that com- helpful? Or, um, yeah.
4: Completely, because as I said before, you've got to break down these silos. Actually, devolution is the way you can break down these pointless silos between different public services and make them all work in a much more coordinated way uh, at the at the ground level. You know, on the combined authorities point, I hope Cheshire get a devolution deal with Yorkshire. And I don't think Lancashire are there yet, but I, I would love to see them come through. Because in the end, if the North West had those four big sub regional deals. Steve and I might collaborate on something, or Steve, myself, and Cheshire might do something, or the four of us might do. You can scale it up or scale it down, depending on what issue it is you're dealing with. So the CA model is a good one, I think, because some things will just be right for the city region to do. Other things might be right for the two big city regions to do. Others will be all four, do you see what I mean? I think it's a good building block, and this is where the Northwest and Northeast evolution fell down. It was too high level, it was too big geography. Go with the functioning geographical area that uh, Judith spoke about before, and that is the, the combined authority uh, model that we've got. I think it's the right, right building block, but you can scale it up or scale it down depending on what you're trying to do.
0: Are so you with Andy on that, Steve?
2: Edward asked about scale, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and that's really important because Liverpool or Knowsley or Sefton or St. Helens yeah. or w- going on an international level to try and get investment doesn't really cut it. Um, we like to think that those individual areas um, may well be able to get through the front door but big international investors are looking for scale and a combined authority gives you exactly what the international market wants and six districts working together is not easy. Andy's spot on with the combined authority model and that it is different than what happens in London. There's. Um, both pros and cons uh, to that, and that is, of course, um, the the good side of it is that hopefully uh, in our area we have six Labour local authorities, a Labour metro mayor, and we can work together for the best interests of the the whole city region, hopefully at times putting aside some of our individual differences uh, for the greater good. Um, I don't know what that might be if some of those authorities ever change hands politically and those others who have experienced that may be able to, to tell me um, how that feels and that, that could cause us some real issues about trying to get the, um, the consensus and the collaboration but demonstrably it's working at the moment and whilst we have the embryonic um, nature of this we can shape it how we want it. Nobody told us how to do things other than the the devolution agreement. Nobody told us what we needed Mm. to do. We've got a blank sheet of paper. Hopefully we will develop something that will be a model for other areas to look at because devolution needs to be right the way across the whole country and not just in the areas currently that are benefiting from it. So,
0: Judith, you want to come in from
2: a slightly different perspective? Yeah,
6: um, I just wanted to pick up on that that issue of scale. (laughs) Um, um, I I was one of the five... um, leaders from the north who w- went to China with um, George Osborne on the, when launching the northern powerhouse um, uh, model, if you like. Um, and it's interesting, you know, Andy and I have separately just been to China, but the northern powerhouse resonate has resonated so incredibly well in China because they understand the scale of what we're talking about. And I think it's really important, whatever different differences in terms of models that we have, that we keep that northern... Um, picture and, and as you say, the strength of it is is absolutely phenomenal. I've made and this point a couple of times. Yeah, we mustn't speak, mustn't we the Chinese government are that. talking
4: more about the Northern Powerhouse than the UK government at the moment, which is a bit a bit <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. a bit worrying. But it's the Chinese not. model is, is Judith's right. I mean, it's about clusters of cities, isn't mm. it? And Steve's right. You know, they they very much have their cities in these little groups, don't mm. they? So they connect with that idea yeah. of the Northern Powerhouse. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yep. That's really that's really interesting. Andrew Akash, you were both challenged on, you assert devolution works, we're too centralised. its a problem. So, Andrew, what's your evidence?
3: Well, I think uh, there are different places you can look. I mean, no one place is perfect, I mean, in a sense, you know, that's the obvious point. Metrics matter and people use different metrics, but I think you can look at, um, you can look at places like uh, Germany, I think you can look at Mm. places like Spain. Mm. I think you can look at places like Sweden. I think you can look at places like Canada. I think you can look at places like Australia. right? And I even mentioned the US, which has a different model. The reason why I started with those first three, because I think this is important given where we are and the reality of where we might get to. Each of those systems combines a much more devolved set of arrangements where places are given their head on a, on a whole range of different issues. But it's underpinned still by an equalisation process. It's not the winner-takes-all that we often see. It's not self sufficiency models that we often see, particularly in the U.S., where it is simply the city or the state that fends for itself because the national system is largely absent. All of those places manage to deal with giving places much more autonomy to lead on things that they can do well at the scale Mm -hmm. at which they're doing, plus to be able to to compensate them for essentially historical and uh, economic reasons as to why some places are more successful than those, So I think there's lots of evidence that we can look at. There'll be others as well, but in a sense you can look at that. The other point is, they all have asymmetric systems, right, which is why what we are talking about here. They don't have exactly the same system in every part of the country. Germany doesn't, Spain certainly doesn't, Sweden doesn't. It's all slightly different based on different arrangements that come through an evolutionary process. So this idea that we have to have the same for everywhere is not borne out by the evidence. So we should feel entirely comfortable or more comfortable with an asymmetric, as I would kind of call it, process. I think that's possible. We can deal with this, as- this kind of re- requirement to equalize and redistribute as well as giving places much more head. Can I make one, one point? I, I, I agree entirely on kind of questions and issues about the scale. My only offer on the scale question is you have to be mindful about the scale has to work given what you're trying to achieve. Because mm-hmm. if it's just a pursuit of scale, no. well, why don't we do stuff at no. the England level? No, that's right. that's a, you know, if you follow that argument through, let's do stuff at the global level, right? You have to think about the scale and how it re- resonates with and connects to the stuff that you want to do. Okay. And if you're thinking about labour markets, if you're thinking about transport, okay. if you're thinking about public services and other the scale will be variable. You have to be mindful of those things. Variable so just saying we're a big place with lots fear. of stuff I doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Akash.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agreed with uh, many of the examples um, Andrew gave. Uh, the ones I, I had noted down were also Canada, Australia and Germany as sort of proper federal system. So obviously the constitutional context is, is pretty different. But I think what you can see in, in those, I- those three and, and, and no doubt other countries as well is a sort of significant domain of legally guaranteed policy autonomy for the states or provinces or whatever they're called, combined, as, as Andrew said, with you know, needs-based uh, systems for redistribution from richer to, to poorer parts of the country, um, and thirdly, combined with effective systems for, for cooperation between mm-hmm. the different levels of government um, with the levels of government coming together on the basis of, of partners or equals, not Central government telling the telling the local or, or regional levels what to do. If I can say one thing very quickly, also on, on combined authorities, um, I mean, I take the points made by by Andy and, and and Steve about the the benefits of having the combined authority to sort of foster a consensus across the uh, area with the local authorities. And that is obviously the benefit of it. I mean, I think I alluded to this before. What I see as missing in the current arrangements, particularly if we're talking about going a lot way f- long way further, is an effective scrutiny body. Um, I don't think the London Assembly is a particularly effective scrutiny body, but you know, <laughs> we're really aspiring to get towards Scotland or Wales or whatever, as I said before. I think you need to think about the other side of the, of the constitutional systems at, at the city-region level, which we don't have at the moment.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to finish up quite soon, but what I just want to do is go down the panel, and the final exam question is, what should be in the next Labour manifesto about Metro Mayor's devolution in England? So we said so far, George Osborne's probably got a better press in this event than anywhere outside the Evening Standard. (laughs) So you say London newspaper, uh, which he edits. Um, So actually, what should Labour be doing to take this agenda forward? And what should it be committing to if Akash or Andrew want to participate Like
4: there was a, someone with a microphone there who <laughs> was desperate to. Thank you very much. Cheers, Andy. I um, look, a bit of great I Manchester uh, loyalty there. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll see after the question gets. <laughs> <over>. uh, <Yeah. laughs> and, and, and Samuel, I'm Sam I'm a, a um, councillor in, in Piccadilly yeah. Ward was. I, I agree with what Andy said about we want more powers but it, it's who those powers t- go to, and Akash made this point, and it, it can't just be centralised in May's office, and this is nothing against Andy, you know, it's it's a very rare Labour politician who can seduce Hale Central, <laughs> but, you know, the, the sense that what we need back is, is essentially this effective scrutiny, and we, we had this, which is why the Conservatives abolished them in 1987 and 88, which is we had uh, metropolitan county councils, And can't we have one back? And then all all the um, comrades on the panel don't just have to be mayors. They could be first ministers. (laughs)
0: Okay, Okay, we've heard that. So that's a possibility (laughs) for Labour's next manifesto. Tony, do you want to have a go at what you would like to to see? or it could be the Conservative Manifesto as well. Yes,
7: so obviously, it d- doesn't. Uh, um, for, for me, it is all around giving more powers to um, help with collaboration to bring the public and private sector closer together in their communities. That's, that is that is what we see will help stimulate growth throughout the UK. Dan, what's in your pitch for this agenda? I think it th- is that sort of genuine,
5: meaningful commitment to devolve raw resources and power away from the centre. The regions, I think that's quite an exciting opportunity. I hope that we can grasp that. I think if you talk to Andrew Gwynn, our Shadow Secretary of State, I think he sort of sees the potential of it. But in the end, we're all judged by actions. So I think let's, let's use the kind of devolution that we've got to sort of demonstrate the value. It is work in progress. I think we'll probably, in 50 years' time, have a different arrangement. But we just need that kind of cultural mind shift to move resources away from the centre out to where the people actually are.
0: Steve, you're waiting to give a lot of people who are waiting into power in their departments and say you're not going to get as much power as you thought you would, having stuck with central government rather than moved into these mayoral jobs uh, because we're gonna, we want to take some back. So how do you get, what sort of commitment do you want to see up front in the next Labour manifesto?
2: told people earlier about the soft powers um, and reading between the lines look uh, just because um, it might not be in a labour manifesto doesn't mean to say that we're not (laughs) going to do it anyway but uh, the things I'd like in in a a labour manifesto is um, I think our commitment around national and regional investment banks is really important to to us to areas like ourselves that's the way that you can truly start to address the imbalance in the economy and I'd like um, you know to have the opportunity, and I've spoken with John Mack and, uh, and others, I'd like to have the opportunity, um, if central governments aren't going to do things, to have the powers locally to do them for ourselves, and that might mean exactly what Andy Burnham was talking about, where Liverpool and Manchester decide that we'll do something as two, or
7: you
2: know, Manchester and Leeds might do something, whatever it is, but I'd like to see um, us have the powers to be taking more responsibility for our
4: own areas? Mm. Well, it's definitely, I see it as we rather than I, by the way, so I, I'm wanting to work in that way, and I would have no objection to going down the, the, the path that you describe. Um, but in terms of what I'd like to see in the manifesto, I've been saying this week, and I'll just say it again, uh, in case people haven't heard it, but I think the referendum result was as much an instruction for Westminster to review its relationship with England as it was for Westminster to review its relationship with Europe. And I think Labour needs to respond to that, And what I would like to see in the manifesto is the proposal for a new constitutional settlement along the lines of the the federal model that Gordon Brown has been uh, speaking uh, about. So what does that mean? I think it means, firstly, maximum devolution uh, to the English regions, number one. Number two, I think it means a a regional House of Lords. Um, Number three, controversially, but I think it means a review of the Barnett formula, because I don't think it's fair uh, to the English regions compared to all of the UK. And I would also um, uh, suggest that it it, it needs um, a review of of the voting system as well. I I think we've hit a point here where too many parts of the country have felt powerless in the face of change and globalisation, and the settlement hasn't been working for people. The level of alienation from the Westminster system is huge, and there's no point in ignoring it. That is what came through the referendum, and I think Labour needs to kind of go in quickly and be the reformers in this space. Develop a new political culture, and if you build it from the bottom up through devolution, mm. it can just become healthier again, and it can involve people in new ways. And I think Labour should be the, the party of political renewal.
0: And final word to the panel, Judith.
6: Um, so it actually breaks my heart that um, it's been the Tories who have been leading the agenda on devolution. We haven't really actually had a Labour Party narrative, and I think we should be working on that narrative now, and it should be. Um, linked to democratic renewal and actually addressing the issues that have come up through brexit and all the evidence is there been intensive studies that where you have um, uh, the centralized system the most centralized system in Europe uh, is in England um, you can reflect that in the participation in, in elections so it's no surprise at all that the, the voting in local elections is so the um, turnout is so Abysmal, and it's you know people feel disenfranchised. They don't feel they've got control over um, what they do. So, but I want it to be visionary. I want it to be really positive. I don't want it just to be about investing in hard infrastructure, important as that is. It's actually addressing, um, really getting underneath the productivity gap. You know, why is um, you know Munich 80% um, ahead of us in terms of productivity? You know, absolutely extraordinary. And we reckon around 40% of that is around um, because of the levels of deprivation in our communities. And I think there's a real opportunity for Labour to use the devolution model to invest in affordable housing, in, in skills as we've discussed, but actually really look at devolving our education system. It's an absolute nonsense to control schools from um, Whitehall sure. and really tackling um, our health, um, health inequalities. But we have to be honest... You know, there is um, um, very much within the party a sense that you need to control things from the centre to make sure that there's consistent delivery um, where, where money is released. And we've got to address that. How do we actually make sure through the devolved models that we actually live true to our values and deliver f- to, for the people that need our support and help the most?
0: Thank you very much. Thanks very much to all our fantastically excellent panel And thank you all very much for coming. So thank you very much.